good afternoon, one and all. So great to see everybody. And our brother was praying, um, some have to leave early, and, but, and some aren't able to come for one reason or another. And, but it's just great to know that the Lord has drawn our hearts together around Himself. You know, we may not have much in common with each other. We come from different backgrounds, different places, but our end goal is the same. We're all going to the same place, right? And the, how would I say it? Not the vehicle. It's not like we're all in the same vehicle, but the, the way we're going to get there is the same, isn't it? To the righteousness of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that unites us in a way that no family or tribe or group on earth is united. And so it gives us a special love and a bond for each other. So it's just really nice to be able to enjoy the fellowship of the saints. Um, it's not what I'm going to preach about, but I just wanted to encourage you to look on each other with love and uh, let's help one another when we can and really strengthen the weak knees and the feeble hands and really try to walk together as much as possible as we're uh, along, going along this pathway. So if you could open up to uh, first, uh, Second Peter, I'm going to be speaking on some of the verses that we've had in Second Peter during our Bible study time on Thursday nights. Not necessarily saying the same things that came out during the study, but it's really been on my heart recently to try to get the good out of what we've been reading and studying. Not to let it fall on the floor, but allow it to change and transform the life of myself and my family and the assembly. And so, I had a, I believe, desire from the Lord to do just a series of, of talks, not necessarily back-to-back or anything, but a, a series of talks on these seven things that we have in chapter 1 that we are to add or to supplement our faith with. And so that's the exercise. And um, we don't know, God only knows how many of these we'll actually talk about or when they'll be talked about. But I thought I would spend a little time today just as some introductory remarks about what is the function of works in the life of the believer. That's really um, what it all boils down to. We have to have that clear in our minds. What function does do good works play in the life of the believer? They definitely play some kind of role. They definitely are important because they show up a lot in the Bible. We're encouraged towards good works. But they don't do everything. And so I just want to spend a little time thinking about the function of works in the life of the believer. Here's a little story maybe to kind of demonstrate what I'm talking about. So there was a hurricane coming in uh, Florida one year. And there was a man with a family. Uh, he had a wife and a child. And uh, right in the hurricane, the path of the hurricane, and the Lord came to him in a dream 
and told him, Billy, his name was Billy, I guess. I'm making it up as I go. But let's just call him Billy. You and your family are going to live through this hurricane. Don't be afraid. You'll make it. And that's all he said. And so Billy woke up the next day thrilled. And so as time went on, there was still a couple days left before the, the hurricane was destined to come. Everyone was scrambling, preparing their homes. Billy said, I don't have to. I'm thankful. I had the message from the Lord. We're going to make it. His wife said, you know, they're putting shutters on the windows, dear. I had the message from the Lord. I'm waiting on the Lord. And we'll be fine. So then the day came. They woke up. The storm started raging. The flood started coming. And everyone began to be nervous, but not Billy. Billy was confident, and he was resting in his living room. There was no TV because the electricity was out, but he was just sitting on his chair, and his wife said, shouldn't we do something? He said, no, the Lord told me we would make it. We're going to live through this hurricane. Everyone started leaving the neighborhood. The floodwaters started to rise. Billy said, no, we're not leaving. That would be too, too much work. Look at them all scrambling, uh, getting all their stuff together. We're just, we're just going to stick it out. Finally, the water got so high they had to climb up on their roof. And they're up on the roof, and his wife is saying, we've got to get out of here. He said, dear, the Lord told us we're going to make it. We don't need to do anything. Finally, a boat comes by. They're taking out the last people. Come in the boat. Billy, he's like, he looks. He'd have to swim a little ways. He's like, we're fine. We're waiting on the Lord. Don't worry about us. So they go. Then a helicopter comes, drops down the rope ladder and says, climb onto the helicopter, Billy. I'm waiting on the Lord. Thank you. He told us we'd make it. Finally, the water comes up and they can no longer stay on their roof. And he's getting upset now. Lord, what happened? And then his wife says, look, we can, if we swim, we can make it to this little bit of uh, land over here. So he and his family swim and they barely make it. They end up panting on this little uh, rise where the land was high enough. And they're barely breathing when they get there, but they made it. And the Lord comes to Billy and he's, as he's passed out there on the island. And Billy's upset. Lord, you told me that you would take care of me. You told me I would make it. And he said, I gave you the skills and the ability to prepare your house and you didn't do anything. I gave you the warnings on the TV to leave. You didn't do anything. I gave you the, your, the wisdom of your wife to encourage you. You didn't listen. I sent a boat to take you out. You didn't go in. I sent a helicopter. And who do you think gave you the strength to swim to make it to this island? All those things came from me. There are times when we take a hymn like we just sang, 99, on Christ, salvation rests secure. The rock of ages must endure. Nor can that faith be overthrown, which rests upon the living stone. 
No other hope shall intervene. To him we look, on him we lean. Sometimes I believe we take a sentiment like we find in this hymn and it turns us into lazy Christians. We misunderstand the function that works play in our lives as believers. You know, the Lord has made certain promises to us. Not that we'll live through the hurricane necessarily, but we will live forever. If you're a believer in the Lord, your salvation rests secure. Why does it rest secure? It rests in Him. And He is the living stone, and He will never change and never fail. But that does not mean that the Lord has promised all you do is just sit back and coast into glory. That's not the way it works. And there is a place in yours and in my life for striving for righteousness, for making every effort to do right, to be faithful. And I believe sometimes we don't feel the urgency. We don't feel any sense of urgency because the... the uh, unless we're motivated by the fear of hell, sometimes we can't get up enough strength to do anything. Like, I'm safe from that. I'm safe from hell, so why would I do anything? Why would I? It's not important. I'll do it if I can. It's kind of optional. You know, I'll try my best. But if I wake up one day, I don't really feel like trying. God's got me covered. And we don't have a sense of urgency. And I find in 2 Peter a real sense of urgency towards holiness and righteousness. And I want to have it in my life. And I want us to have that attitude as an assembly as well. So why don't we just read um, these few verses in 2 Peter 1 and just make a few comments about it. And then my desire is to go through the life of Joseph and to talk about how Joseph, this is not today, but maybe someday, Look at each of these characteristics and see the way they are lived out in a person like Joseph. Um, and let's see if we can imitate him in that way. So, we're going to read in 2 Peter 1. And I'll go ahead and start in verse 3, but the focus is really on verses 5 through 11. <clears throat> His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence, by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fail. Or you, I'm sorry, 
you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now I see in Peter a real feeling of urgency as he's speaking. We talked in the study about how he's near the end of his life. And if somebody came and told you, you have only a few weeks left to live on this earth. And that's apparently what's happened to Peter. He said, as the Lord told me, he said, my time is coming soon. What would you do with those weeks? What would you do with that time? And his time, interestingly enough, was not spent preaching the gospel to the unsaved. I'm sure he did, some. He was, I'm sure, always preaching the gospel. But this letter, in and of itself, is not necessarily an evangelistic letter as much as it is to the church to convince them of the, of the need for holiness and righteousness among them. I think that's interesting because we can, I know that we feel this urgency of preaching the gospel, of snatching people out of the flames. But sometimes we don't feel the urgency of getting Christians to shape up or feeling like I need to shape up myself. That also is urgent. It's necessary for us to do that. And I, I think that we need to feel the necessity of it. So right off from the bat, I want to say what works do not do in the life of the believer. Two B's. Works for the believer are not the basis of our salvation. And they are not the building blocks of our salvation. They're neither one. In other words, they are not the foundation. We are not saved because we do good works. God doesn't look down and, and try to figure out, okay, these people over here are practicing love and brotherly affection and patience, endurance and all that. I'm going to save them because they are so good. And that's obviously a misunderstanding worldwide. There's a lot of effort in pretty much any religious expression to do good so that God will be happy with you and then He will save you. So they are not the basis of our salvation. But a little more subtle difference they're also not the building blocks of our salvation. In other words, sometimes believers feel like, I know Christ laid the foundation, but as I do my works, I'm getting closer and closer to God. I'm getting, he's getting more and more happy with me, and I'm building up my good works, and God is so pleased. That's also a, a false uh, expression. All that you have in Christ is yours, when you're converted. All that you have. There is no building blocks on our salvation. We are just as saved the moment we're converted, and I believe the moment that we're elected, but that's a different sermon, as the day we die after doing all these good works. We are just as saved. There is no building blocks to our salvation. And so that's what works are not. Okay? Because I don't want to... Make sure, I want to make sure no one thinks I'm preaching legalism. That's really a definition of legalism. And it's a dangerous teaching, so dangerous that Paul devoted the entire book of Galatians to preach against it because it was overtaking them, right? 
So we want to make sure we're not preaching legalism. But don't let our fear of legalism pull the rug out from under our urgency to strive toward godliness. That's really the desire of this series of messages. So what are they instead? Whenever we see in verse 3 that His divine power has granted to us all things, that's the basis of our salvation. And when He says He's granted to us these precious and great, very great promises, that's the building blocks of our salvation. So God has done all that. He has done that. So what are works? Three Ps. And we see them all in this passage. The works of a believer, and I'll just use one example of a good work, loving someone, okay? Not an emotional love, but doing an act of love towards somebody. I guess an example could be um, you really wanted to watch this basketball game tonight. Is there basketball going on? I'm not sure. Baseball, whatever's going on. I don't follow the sports, but... Um, say there's a, you really wanted to watch this basketball game and somebody uh, calls you and they say, I'm really needing somebody to talk to. Will you talk to me? Because I'm feeling down. And you say, you set aside your own desire and you say, I'm going to do this for that person out of love. That's an act of love. Simple, right? But I believe that is what we mean when we say good works. That's an example of showing love to somebody. So what do they do? What are they? What role are they playing in our lives? Three Ps. They are the product of true saving faith. They are the product of faith. There is no saving faith. I want to be clear on this. There is no such thing as saving faith that does not produce good works. And we can say that definitively. There is no such thing as saving faith in God that does not have a product of, of good works. And we know from verses like we see it in James, James goes so far as to confuse generations of Christians by saying, can faith without works save you? Uh, faith without works is dead. And things like that. And we think, what? That doesn't sound right. I thought our salvation was by faith alone. But James said, can such faith save you? And the answer is no, because it's not real faith. So faith always produces good works. So the good works in your life, and you can, you can find them if you're a believer. They are there. I mean, I can preach that with certainty. Look at them, and they are the product of faith. The second thing is connected to that, and we really see it in... Um, This passage, they are the proof of saving faith. And this is a more subjective thing. The first one is objective. It just happens. It's produced, right? Produces good works. But they also convince you of your faith. We long for the assurance of our salvation. God has ordained that we find the assurance of our salvation as we watch the Holy Spirit working in us. As we see the Holy Spirit working in us, I look at that and I say, I know I could never do that in my own strength. I would always watch the basketball game instead of calling that person. Because that's what I want to do. And I know 
given my own strength, I would never be that kind of a person, so it must be God in me. Wow! God is working in me. And so I feel that confirmation and that affirmation. And so we have a verse like in verse 10, where it says, Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent. And that's really what led me to want to give this kind of message. Be all the more diligent. Wow, I need to be diligent to do these things. Why? Not to save myself. But it says to, and translations might put it slightly differently, to confirm your calling and election. Some translations say to make it more sure. And that's a little bit confusing because it's not that we make it more sure, as in more of a true fact. It's It's either a true fact or it's not. But we make it more sure to myself. I am more sure that I'm saved today than I was two years ago because I've got two years of good works to look at and say that is God working out in me. And so be diligent to confirm your calling and election. My election happened before time began. I can't make it any more certain that it happened. It happened already. But as I work, I prove it. And I'm not necessarily concerned with proving it to other people. I believe that also happens. We will know a tree by its fruits. And I do believe I can look at the life of Colin, for example, and I can see things that he's done, I say, this is a faithful brother in the Lord, right? I know this tree by its fruits. And he gets up to preach, and I can say, I want to listen to what he has to say, because I know the Holy Spirit is in him. How do I know? Because he told me? No. Because I know his works. Paul said that all the time. I know your works, right? And so, I do believe that it confirms it to others, but I'm less concerned with that as it confirms it to ourselves. It provides proof of our salvation. And we need that desperately when Satan comes whispering to us, God does not have time for people like you. You think you're saved, but you're not, etc. And he will challenge us in those ways. He accuses us before God, but he also accuses us before the, you know, the trial of our own hearts and our own souls. It's telling us that we're not loved. And then we come back and say, no, we are. We are loved. He doesn't love us because I do good works, but I know He is in me because I have that proof. And the third one is the purpose. And sometimes we don't really feel the weight of this. Our good works are the purpose for our saving faith. God saved you so that you would call that person. And I believe that is a very important aspect of our works that we sometimes miss. Most of the time we think, why did God save me? He saved me because He loved me. And I know that that's true, but I think it can get confusing. Because if that's all there is to it, the rest of my life from that point of conversion to my death, it's all just window dressing. It's all just icing on the cake. I can live however I want. God got what He wanted out of me. He loved me. He got me. Here I am. But there's more to it than that. And so we have verses like we find in Ephesians. And this is one that everybody in the room has probably heard and maybe memorized. Ephesians 2, where you have really important truth on the idea that our salvation is by faith and grace alone. 
But we also have in Ephesians 2, verse 8, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Free grace. But let's not stop there, right? Okay? That's an important teaching. We have to understand it. If we don't, we are going to be skewed and way off in left field when it comes to our, the function of our good works in our lives. So let's just realize we are saved through faith. It is not of ourselves, a gift of God, not a result of works. So that no, in other words, not a product of works. Okay? So faith isn't a product of works. Works are a product of faith. So that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship. See how God is working? God's works. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. So at least one of the important purposes of our saving faith is these good works that He's laid out. He wants those things from us. And we need to feel the weight of that. Not so I can feel like I'm under a slave master and say, you do this, do that, do that. But I need to feel a godly desire for being used of Him. And so, <clears throat> let's just look at Maybe some ways of feeling that sense of urgency without slipping into legalism here at the end. First of all, let's look at these three things that happen in the, in, in the passage back in 2 Peter 1. We have three phrases that cue us in to how urgent this matter is. The first one is in verse 5. For this reason, make every effort to do something. Make every effort to do something. And that sometimes I look at that and I say, am I even making any effort? You know, sometimes, sometimes I'm not even making any effort toward godliness. I feel like, well, I'm just barely getting by as it is. I don't really have energy to expend towards supplementing my faith with these seven things. So, not just make an effort, but make every effort. And I think, when I, when I found that and I saw that, I got a little confused. How can I try hard to be patient? And that's really why I want to spend a little time in the coming weeks, maybe sometime, talking about what does it mean? How can I make every effort to supplement my faith with excellence? What does that mean on a practical level? Because unless it gets practical, it just becomes kind of something nice to keep in our heads or, or, or make us feel like we're, we're spiritual. But unless it has results on the ground, I believe the letter is falling flat. So there we have, make every effort. The other thing I see here is a conditional statement in verse 8. A conditional statement in verse 8. And you know, conditional statements are powerful. They're all through the covenants of the Old Testament. If this, then this. We love unconditional statements. And we love unconditional promises. And we have them as believers. But this is an, a conditional statement. 
if these things are yours and are increasing, something's going to happen. And I, I think we need to feel the weight of these conditional statements in the Bible. If this is yours, then this. And we could say in the opposite, if this is not true, then this is also not true. And so we've got to feel the weight of that and the urgency towards supplementing our faith with these seven things. And the last one is in verse 10, where it says, be all the more diligent. Be all the more diligent. You know, Peter says later that he's going to be diligent. And he's going to make every effort so that we have a reminder of these things. But we need to make every effort. We need to be all the more diligent. Right? And, you know, if... Um, We've just got to be able to separate it out from our, from our minds. If our boss comes to us and tells us, be more diligent, make every effort, we're probably not going to say, well, that's what he says. I mean, I, you know, I will if I want. No, because we feel afraid that we'll be fired. And so we're motivated. If the teacher comes to you and says, make every effort, student, be more diligent, you'll be, do it because you don't want to fail. As believers, somehow we have to tap into the sense of urgency without having the, 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 um, the fear that normally goes along with it. Because God is not going to drop you. God is not going to fire you. Don't be motivated by that kind of fear. But we still need the urgency. And so another way that I have found helpful is to look at what, ha what is at stake. What happens if I don't? And we see all the negatives in this passage. So here's what happens to the person who does not supplement their faith with those seven things. They are ineffective, fruitless, nearsighted, blind, they fall, and there is no rich entrance provided for them into the eternal kingdom. Is that what you want out of life? It isn't what I want. Remember the song, uh, Amazing Grace, I once was blind, but now I see? Do we want to say, I once was blind and I'm still blind, but praise God for His amazing grace? That's not what we want. I don't want to be blind. I don't want to be nearsighted. I don't want to be fruitless. I don't want to be like that fig tree that Jesus comes to and He's looking for figs and there's no fruit. So let's feel that motivation, right? I don't want to be ineffective. I don't want to fall. I hate falling spiritually. You know? I hate falling physically too. But I also hate falling spiritually. It's painful. I don't want to fall. So let's feel that sense of drive. How can I do this, Lord? How can I add these things to my faith? And adding isn't necessarily the best image, but how can I supplement my faith with these things? I want to really try it. I want to make every effort. And I hope you do too. And as we you know, think about it, I pray that you would be praying before the Lord as well. And, and that, um, I'm sure that I won't say everything there is to say. But let's, as a church and as an assembly, as a group, really strive and say, yes, I, I want this to be true about us. That we are supplementing this saving faith with these seven things. And so, um, you know, as God allows, we can continue to, to meditate on these verses and... Um, 
really allow ourselves to labor with and for the Lord. There's a song, Labor With and For the Lord, isn't there? Or maybe I'm making that up. Um, not necessarily as uh, that you know, uh, slave who fears the master's lash or that employee who fears the pink slip, but as the son who is going to inherit the family business, you know, who is invested in the righteousness of the Father. You know, that's his business. That's God's business, is righteousness. And we are, it's like God and Son. You know, it's like those old businesses used to be, you know, Harriman and Son. And we are coming into that. And so we don't want the business of righteousness to just be some side issue. We want to be invested in it as his children. So may he enable us for his name's sake. Thank you.